0: Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, you're a good God, a great God, a God that we worship, a God that we that we love. We thank you, Lord, for salvation. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to our hearts. I trust, Lord, Lord, that the worship has, Lord, readied our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. Father, I decrease that you would increase. Myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and you every thought that enters my mind be of you and not of me. Pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. 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 You have your Bibles, a Bible app. Turn to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter one verses one through eleven is today's text. Again, First Timothy, chapter one, verses one through eleven. This is part one now. We're going to begin a new series from this book, 1 Timothy, that I'm calling Church Life. Everyone say that. Now, with more enthusiasm, Church Life. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to give an introduction and background on the book. This was written by Paul around 63 to 64 A.D., and he wrote this while he was in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. It was written to Timothy as pastor of the church of Ephesus, and that's uh, Ephesus' city in modern-day Turkey. Now, now a little bit about Timothy. Timothy was from the city of Lystra, a city in Turkey, and his mother and his grandmother were both Jewish believers, and they were not only Jewish by birth, but also Christians by faith. Good place to say amen. His father was a Greek, uh, not a believer. Now, Timothy was about 15 years old when Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, led him to Jesus. Acts chapter 16, write that down. Acts chapter 16, there it gives us the background of it. And, and once Timothy got saved, it says that he followed Paul and he becomes a traveling companion and protege of Paul's. Timothy becomes very, very instrumental in Paul's ministry. Now, now Timothy was about 30 years old when Paul wrote 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is part of what is known as the pastoral Epistles, say that, pastoral epistles. There's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And this is appropriate in one sense because these letters were written to young pastors who were involved in leadership of churches, uh, which constitute a kind of handbook for pastors. Key verses, uh, which sets the main point and the purpose for the entire letter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, where Paul says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Say truth. In chapter 4, verse 12, it's one of the key verses here. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The key word is command. Say command. And Paul uses this word command seven times in this letter. Uh, command is, is a military term. And Paul's like, Timothy, as, as, as a pastor, Timothy, as a shepherd, you set the tone for the troops in the church and command them of these things. Not, not like a dictator, okay? Not like a dictator, but as a loving pastor as a loving shepherd, and you need to urge them firmly that these are non-negotiables. You guys got that? Okay. They can't be redefined. They they can't, you can't add to them. You cannot alter them, and you cannot try to improve on them. Three reasons why we need to study this letter. First of all, it's God's Word. Amen. But reason number one is this. It covers the vital details of church life and order. Okay. Got that? It covers the vital details of church life in order. Now listen, the, that, excuse me, the pastoral epistles are a, a blueprint, they're a manual, a handbook for the local church, for, for church life. That's why I called it Church Life and how the church should operate and function. So as we, we go through this letter, we will see how it shapes the way the church thinks and puts into practice, say practice, uh, the essentials of church life in order. Now, such as, such as sound doctrine and such as, as prayer and, and public worship, such as preaching and, and caring for members and, and the roles of men and women, roles of, of elders and deacons and, and correcting church members and how one ought to behave in the household of God. This letter enables the church to see biblical priorities for the church's health. The second reason why we're going to study this book, it provides wise counsel for pastors' spiritual lives and ministries. Got that? It provides wise counsel for pastors' spiritual lives and ministries. Listen, I will be preaching to myself. You guys got it? As we go, I'm preaching to myself, and Paul has a lot to say, a lot to say about the pastor's role and responsibility. And you see, it's a good thing for the congregation to know and feel the intensity that we pastors feel, especially as we bear our hearts in the pulpit. Now, now, Paul exhorted Pastor Timothy to wage the good warfare, to holding on faith and, and good conscience for disciplining himself for the purpose of godliness and, and to, to not neglect his spiritual gift and to immerse, immerse himself in faithful ministry and to pay close attention to himself and his teaching. In fact, friends, listen now. In the last chapter, you can hear and feel the passion the intensity and the attentiveness of Paul's closing exhortation to Timothy where he says this, guard what has been entrusted to your care. You guys with me? You see, church, as your pastor, you are to hold me and other pastors to the standard Paul gave Timothy. Every single pastor needs this kind of accountability. And sadly, friends, we live in a day and age where too many pastors are falling on the wayside. Are you guys with me? The third reason is this. It shows how the gospel is central to our experience and purpose as a church. I love this. I love this. It shows how the gospel is central to our experience, our our existence, excuse me, our existence and purpose as a church. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, the health of the gospel there in Ephesus was at stake. It was at stake. And this is why Paul, the experienced pastor, right, encourages and instructs Timothy, the young, timid pastor, to stand firm on the gospel with his congregation. Now, if you're safe, say amen. As a church, we ought to be all about the gospel. Say all about the gospel. In both, listen now, in both preaching and practice. Amen? Not just in believing, but also in behavior. Now, 1 Timothy can be divided into four sections. I want you to follow me now. The church and its message in chapter 1. The church and its members, chapters 2 and 3. The church and its ministries, chapter 4. And the church ministers, and the church and its ministries, chapters 5 and 6. So the church and its message, chapter 1. The church and its members, chapters two and three, the church and its ministries, chapter four, and the church ministers, (laughs) ministers, and the church and its ministries, chapters five and six. Broken up and divided into four different sections. You guys got it? Okay. The title of my message today is Sound Doctrine. Say that. Now we can never, never put too much emphasis on sound doctrine, right? Right? Doctrine simply means a belief system. Say that. So, so what I want to do right now as we set the stage for the rest of this series, is I want to give you a definition of biblical doctrine, say, biblical doctrine. And biblical doctrine this is now follow me now is the body of teaching, the body of teaching drawn from the scriptures that define and describe the essential theological truths of God's revelation. You guys, got that? Let's say it together. Biblical def- doctrine is the body of teaching drawn from the Scriptures that define and describe the essential theological truths of God's revelation. You guys got it? Okay. So this sets the stage for the rest of our series. Two points, if you're ready, say yes. Point number one is this, the greeting. Say that. The greeting. Write that down. And you notice as we go through the greeting, you'll notice that it includes the sender, the recipient, and the benediction. Okay. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Say apostle. Apostle simply means to send out or one who has been sent out. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So Paul is writing as one who has been fully called, say called, and fully commissioned, say commissioned, by who? By God, okay? It wasn't as though he chose to be an apostle. Now, if you know the story, in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul, there, he's going to persecute Christians, and on the road to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse, literally. Knocked him off his high horse, and then commissioned Paul to be an apostle. And so what Paul is stressing here in the text is that his apostleship, get this now, was not due to his desire or his goals or his aspirations, his education, nor manipulation. He was an apostle because God commanded it. Got it? And the awareness of God's hand in his calling would hopefully, hopefully do the same for young Timothy. I want you to look at the end of the text there and of Christ Jesus, our hope. That's important. Why? Because Jesus is the basis. For Christian hope, because he is the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen? So follow me here. So after opening in in authority, he was commanded by God, an apostle, right? Authority, Paul now balances his authority, I love this, with an expression of affection. He goes from authority now to affection. Look at verse 2 with me. To Timothy, my true son in the what? I want to stop there. This is an affectionate reminder of their relationship. Now, Timothy's not Paul's true son in the flesh, but he's Paul's true son in the faith. And Timothy had a father who gave him physical life, but it was Paul who God used to give Timothy spiritual life. You guys with me? And we know that through introduction here that Timothy came to faith as a result of Paul's ministry in Lystra. And then Paul gives Timothy a blessing From the heart, follow me in the text, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul, if you know about Paul's letters, right, if you read the New Testament and see Paul's letters and and read them and and study them, you'll know that Paul's usual greeting greeting, was only grace and peace, right? Grace and peace. But here, and also in, in 2 Timothy, he includes the word mercy. The word mercy say mercy. Paul uses here is in the Hebrew, it's chesed. Say chesed. Chesed is the word which is often in the Old Testament translated loving kindness, okay? And when Paul prayed for mercy on Timothy, he is simply saying this, okay? Timothy, may God be good to you. But there's more to it than that. I want you to follow me here. Chesed, say chesed, is used in the Psalms no fewer than 127 times, and time and time again, it has the meaning of help in time of need. Got it? Say help in time of need. Get this. It speaks, it speaks of God's active intervention to help us. You see, the emphasis here is on the fact that the pastor, the pastor, Still has and needs the grace, mercy, and peace of God, and what Paul's simply saying that God would give Timothy the grace, mercy, and peace he needed to lead the church in Ephesus. Amen. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? God supplies us with what is needed to do what He's called us to do. Amen. God supplies us with what is needed. To do what he has called us to do. What has God called you to do? And if he's, whatever he's called you to do, guess what, friends? He's given you mercy, too. You got it? His mercy, too. He's there to help you. Uh, it's God's active intervention to help you what he's called you to do. Amen? And we know that if we, as we go through this, we know that Timothy was timid, right? He was timid. Um, he was sickly. And so Paul wanted to encourage him that what God has called you to do, God will help you to do it. Amen? So that's the greeting. Say the greeting. And we saw the sender, Paul, the recipient, Timothy, and the benediction was when Paul said grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus our Lord. Number two is this, and most of our time here is guard the teaching. Say that. And what Paul does, Paul drives right into the purpose of this letter. Look at verse 3 with me. As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Paul wanted Timothy to stay there. I'm sure Timothy wanted to go with Paul. Paul says, no, you're going to stay there. So that you may command certain men not to what? Not to teach what? False doctrines. Any longer. And by the way, false doctrine comes from adding to God's word. It comes from subtracting from God's word or omitting God's word. I'm gonna say it again. It comes from adding to God's word, it comes from subtracting from God's word, and it comes from omitting God's word. Now it's important, friends, follow me now to note that the first task Paul set Timothy to do was to what? Was to guard the teaching of the church, right? Because there were those, right, those who were teaching things that were contrary to the Scriptures or outside the perimeters of Scripture. And Paul charges Timothy uh, to use the authority that he, Timothy, had been given to confront, listen now, and command these teachers not to teach anything other than the objective truth Of God's word, and to oppose those who are teaching false doctrine and oppose anything opposed to sound doctrine. Why? Why? Because the teaching of God's word is the most important, say, important aspect of the ministry of the church. It must be kept pure and untainted. As someone has well put it, the main thing is to see that the main thing remains the main thing. I will say it again. The main thing is to see that the main thing remains the main thing. And that's the first thing Timothy is charged to do. To see that the main thing, sound doctrine, God's word, remains a main thing. I want you to write this down. Acts chapter 20, verses 20, 29. And there, Paul, it tells us of Paul's last recorded visit to Ephesus. The last time he visited Ephesus, where he called to him the elders of the church together there at Ephesus, and he gives, listen now, his farewell to them, and listen to what Paul says to them. He says this, I know that after my departure, after I leave, he tells them, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. In other words, from among the eldership. Will, rise, will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And you see, Paul's warning was prophetic. That was prophetic. Now those false teachers had infiltrated the church. So this is what Timothy has, this is what Timothy right now was dealing with. And so Paul is now addressing the problem, the problem that is presenting an obstacle to the church in Ephesus, and the problem, say the problem, It's false doctrine. The problem is not sticking with God's word. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Anything, say anything, okay, that doesn't line up with this, with this, is considered false doctrine. This is a standard by which we determine truth from error. Listen, listen. Even in the first century church, get it now, the first century church They already had plenty of weird doctrines. I want you to write this down, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. And Paul writes this, to believers, I'm astonished. I'm blown away that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to to a different gospel. You guys get that? Paul saying, I'm blown away. What's wrong with you guys? I can't believe it, you know? You're, you're quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, I want you to get this. When Paul talks about a different gospel, when he talks about a different doctrine, he's making it very clear that there is a standard. Amen? That there is a norm for doctrine. It's supposed to be like this, not like that. Amen? Now, I want you to write this down, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And we covered Jude uh, during the pandemic, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And I love what Jude says here. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I wanted to write to you about salvation. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Say, contend for the faith. That was once for all got to get that say once for all entrusted to the saints do you guys get that you see they had received they had received the same truth that the saints before had received they experienced the same salvation through the same Jesus and they had embraced that truth right they embraced that truth that never changes that's why jude said once for all it's a truth once for all, right? So you can't add and take away from it. It's the unchanging truth that's entrusted to every single believer who must remain true to the word of God. Amen. Verse four. Let's look at verse four. Move on to verse four. Here, Paul and what he does. He talks about some of the junk and empty talk that was circulating in the church. And he tells Timothy to tell these guys, here we go, verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Now in context, say in context, myths are traditions not found in the Scriptures, which add to or contradict biblical teaching. The idea of genealogies is that a lot of times Jewish people took pride in their genealogy instead of seeing their need for a Savior. You guys with me? And Paul's like, hey, man, all they do, all those myths and genealogies, all they do is become a distraction. That's it. Your myths and genealogies won't change your life. They won't help your marriage. Or your family relationships won't help you have victory over areas of sin in your life. All they do, all those things do, myths and genealogies, is take up your time and take up your energy and will not help you live for Jesus. And Paul is charging Timothy to stop these guys from these, their useless, empty talk because that won't change a person's life. The only thing that will change a person's life is the Word of God. And when I thought about these myths and genealogies, I thought about in many churches today, stay with me now, okay, their preaching, pastors are on the pulpit, their preaching has to do with nothing but stories. Okay? And nothing wrong with stories, but stories cannot be the substance of the Word of God. And if it's all stories, stories aren't going to change your life. Stories aren't going to change or help your marriage. Stories are not going to give you victory over sin. It's got to be the Word of God. Amen? So here's a lesson. Simply stick with God's Word. Say that. Simply stick with God's Word. And we should always, always stick, right? Simply stick with God's Word. You know, it's when we try, listen, it's when we try to get creative and enhance God's Word, you know, like we're helping His Word, you know, that we get into trouble. And I see a lot of people on YouTube just, man, dude, you're, just preach the Word, okay? Stop trying to interject your creativity, bro. Really, just preach God's word, amen? And we should simply present God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, church life, say church life. Come on, more enthusiasm, say church life. is not to be governed by the emotional nor the sensational, but by the biblical. Listen now, the authority for what we believe and what we do and how we organize must always be the authoritative word of God. You know, scary and sad is that some churches are allowing the influence of the changing times of the culture in their churches for the purpose and the sake of attracting people and drawing a bigger crowd. If you're safe, say amen. God's word, listen now, is not to be influenced by the changing times of the culture. Rather, it is to influence the changing culture. As I said last week in our church anniversary message here at Cry Out, we do preach the word of God. It's substance over style. It's truth over trends. It's Christ over culture. You're safe, say amen. And if we desire to glorify God, listen now, if we desire to glorify God, then we need to stay true to his unchanging word. And as a church, As a church, we need to ask ourselves. Listen now. Ask ourselves. Are we more interested in gaining people than in glorifying God? Hmm? And the way to answer that, friends, is whether or not God's Word, the whole counsel of His Word, is being preached, taught, lived out in our lives. Are we simply sticking with God's Word? Stick with the Word. Stick with the Word. Stick with His unchanging Word. Amen? We're not going to let culture tell us to change the word. Uh-uh. Amen? Now notice, I want you to notice, notice the goal of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Look at verse 5. The goal purpose of this command is what? Come on, say it. Love. Love. Okay? Now it's good to be doctrinally right, but also we've got to have love too. Amen? The love here that he's speaking of is agape love, Agape. It's Christ-like, selfless, servant-hearted, sacrificial love, okay? And this is a love that an unbeliever cannot, say cannot, generate. They can't. They cannot generate this kind of love. It can only be experienced. It can only be attained and administered by the Holy Spirit, amen? Because it's the Holy Spirit that provides us believers with this kind of love. Now, now let's read on, okay? Well, well let's go back. The goal or the purpose of this command is love, which comes from a what? Someone say it, pure heart, which refers to something free of dirt, refers to that being clean, unsoiled, and a good what? Conscience means complete, upright, useful, acceptable, or wholesome. It deals with the way that we act, either accusing us or excusing us. And then he says this, and a Sincere faith. Not just a faith, but a what? Sincere faith. The word sincere means without hypocrisy. Sincere means without insincerity. It means genuine. And faith, say faith, simply refers to trust, to reliability, confidence, assurance, conviction. Now I want you to follow me here, okay? The goal, say the goal, say the purpose, okay, is a love that issue, that, that issues from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. That's what he's saying. The goal is a love that issues, issues. When you have this love, then what comes out of that love is a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. Amen? And Paul is charging Timothy to stop these guys from all these useless talk Because it's a waste of time and energy. It won't help anybody. And what he's telling Timothy, hey, get back. Get the people back, back to the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Okay, why? Because here's what's going to come out of it. When you get back to the Word of God, here's what's going to come out of it. Love that issues a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You see, false doctrine, myths, genealogies can't do that. Only God's word can, and this is why you and I, Christians, we need to stick with it. Amen. You, you guys, with me this morning? Amen. Verses six and seven. Stay with me now. Some have wandered away from these. Okay, Paul states that some have strayed, missing the mark, swerving, and, and missed the target of this love. That's what he's saying. This love. They have wandered from this love, which issues a pure heart, a good conscience sincere faith, and turned to meaningless talk. Just talking, talking, talking. Huh? They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So how have they done this? Well, they were desiring, Paul says, they were wishing to be teachers of the law. They desired the position of a teacher of the law, but they don't understand what they're saying or affirm. Okay? They didn't understand the purpose and the content of God's law. What they were doing, listen now, friends, they were leading the believers out of a liberty of grace into the bondage of legalism. You guys get that? Which sadly occurs today. Sadly occurs today. Listen, these teachers were known as the Judaizers. Say, Judaizers. And what they would do, these Judaizers, what they would do, they would tell people, you know, this Christianity thing, hey, it's okay, but you have to keep the law. It's okay to be a Christian, but you have to keep the law. you got to be circumcised, ouch. Okay, you got to keep the Sabbath. you got to keep the dietary laws, etc. you got to do this, they're saying, in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it was Jesus plus this, it was Jesus plus that. To them, Jesus was not enough to be saved. You have to keep the law. Well, we know that's not true, right? In fact, write this down Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Acts 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Talk about certain people was about the Judaizers. Unless you are circumcised, they were telling the believers. According to the customs taught by Moses, they said, you cannot be saved. Huh. Wow. And this is, this is what's going on in the churches at that time. So, what was it that these teachers didn't understand? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse. Look at verse 8. We know that the law is good. Say, the law is good. If what? If what? If one what? Uses it properly. Are you guys getting this? And Paul, he's making a point here. He's making a point here that the law is good. It's a good thing. The law is a good thing. Okay, as long as one uses it lawfully as it was meant and intended to be used. As long as it's not misused. The problem is those who misuse the law. I want you to follow me here. The law was being misused then and is being misused even today. It's being misused whenever it is presented as a means of having a right standing before God, as a means of being saved. That's a misuse of the law. Now listen. The law was never, say never, never intended as a means for being saved. You guys guys got that? Never, okay. God never gave the law for people to be saved. Not even the Old Testament. No one, say no one has ever been saved by keeping the law. If you believe that, say amen. I want you to write this down, Romans 3.20. Romans 3.20, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This is what he says. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Got it? That right there is the proper use of, of the law, the law shows us how sinful we are. In other words, what it is, the law is a mirror that reveals it's a mirror that exposes our sin, but it cannot cleanse our sin. See, the law? The law is not a cure. It's just a mirror. Well, let me put it this way: The law is like a thermometer. It doesn't cure you. it just shows you that you're sick. And hopefully, if you know you're sick, it should drive you to go get well. Amen? The law shows us how sinful we are and hopefully causes us to cry out to Jesus to save us. The law was put, this sit now, in effect to lead us to Jesus. Galatians 3.24 says, It's a schoolmaster, the schoolmaster referring to the law to show us our need for a Savior and to drive us to Jesus Christ. So in knowing this, in knowing this, Paul goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, 10a, verse 10a, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous. In other words, if the law has done its convicting work, to bring us to Jesus Christ for justification and transformation, then it's not made for us anymore in that sense. Got it? Now Paul, what he does here, Paul includes specific actions, sins, which break the law. But for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their father's or mothers, or murderers, for adulterers and perverts. The Bible might refer that to homosexuality. In the Greek, it's arsenokotis, refers to same-sex acts, which you got to love them and pray for them. Amen? Amen? For slave traders and liars and perjurers. Okay, so he points out specific actions which break the law. Now, verses 10b through verse 11. Here we go now. And for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, verse 11, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. This clearly defines Paul's stance on what constitutes correct teaching. The sound doctrine there at the end of verse 10, verse 10 be okay, mentioned there, is that which agrees with the gospel Paul has been preaching, sound doctrine. Paul had been, listen now, Paul had been entrusted, say entrusted, with the gospel, this gospel, and he would also entrust Timothy with it as well. You see, friends, to entrust the gospel to someone was a serious commitment. One Paul expected Timothy to follow, and not just follow, but to pass on to other believers that Timothy led in the church in Ephesus. So here's the lesson. We're almost done here. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? We are stewards of the gospel. Right? We are stewards of the gospel. We're not keepers of the gospel. Okay? We're not keepers. We don't keep it to ourselves. If we have been changed, right, transformed by the gospel, we got to tell somebody, right? So, so we're not keepers of the gospel, but stewards, managers, of the gospel. Because the gospel has been entrusted to every single believer. If you're saved, say amen. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You are a steward, not a keeper, amen, of the gospel. It has been entrusted to every single believer. Therefore, we're going to close here. Therefore, we are to know it. We are to live it. We are to share it. We are to fight for it. And we are to protect the living gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm done. I'm done. Let's stand. I'm tired. (laughs) It's been a long month. Okay? Lord, we thank you. Man, Lord, it's thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for who you are, God our Father. We are so grateful that we have your word to speak to our hearts today. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.